Today we're in uh, Philippians chapter 1 again, so I invite your attention to Philippians 1. In John chapter 1, verse 4 says that Christ is the light, and verse 5 goes on to say that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome the light. In that short sentence, describes the the cosmic battle that has been going on ever since Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. It showed up first uh, on planet Earth when Satan appeared to Eve and uh, tempted her. And that battle between Satan and God, between darkness and light, has been going on ever since. It culminated on the cross as the forces of darkness thought they would finally overcome The light, extinguish the light. But Christ rose from the dead, as we know, and the light still lives. But the battle continues. And though Christ is not the object of the battle, his people are. You are, because you belong to him. The darkness wants to extinguish your light as well. And you are called to be lights in this world. John 3.19 says, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Darkness doesn't like the light. Here in Philippians In fact, in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. And he said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, all those who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. We are lights in the darkness. Our passage today is first, excuse me, Philippians 1, 28 through 30, but I want to start in verse 27 because it's all part of that same sentence. So Philippians 1, 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer For his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here 
is in me. Lord, as we look to your word today, we know it like you is holy and right and true. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, open our hearts, our understanding to your truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, we need to have a right perspective on persecution. Verse 28, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. That that word translated terrified, or maybe your version says frightened, terrified, that particular Greek word is only used here in all the New Testament. It occurs nowhere else. It's an unusual word for terrified. It was a word that was used of a a horse who was uh, startled or frightened on the battlefield. It's as if Paul is saying, don't lose heart in the midst of the battle. It might look like you're losing, but you're not. You're actually on the victory side. So therefore, stand firm. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Stand strong in the midst even of persecution. Don't let it scare you. But in large part, the church has done just the opposite. And more and more so. As we strive to be, in our effort to be relevant, we strive to be politically correct, to not call sin, sin. To accept whatever abhorrent norms society throws at us. To cave instead of to stand. We were told to not let those things frighten us. Don't lose heart in those things. Don't back down. Don't give up. And God has given us the task of shining as the lights in this darkness. Not to blend in with the darkness, but to shine in the darkness. Warning lost souls of the real danger of eternal hell. Speaking the good news of hope to them. There are those who oppose the gospel, who will oppose you. Don't let it scare you. Don't let it drive you off. See, persecution proves two truths, this verse says. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Don't let it scare you. But notice next, which is to them a proof of perdition. So the first sign, the first proof is that it is a sign of their destruction. It is proof of their perdition or destruction. Listen, the wrath of God is real and it is coming. They are demonstrating By their opposition, that they are enemies of God, enemies of the cross, enemies of Christ. And they run the danger of everlasting fire and torment. Shouldn't they be warned of that? 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
So how should we view them? I think we should view them with pity. I don't think people in this world realize, oh, I'm under the sway of the wicked one. They don't think that way at all, but it is biblical truth that's what's going on. So we need to warn them. We should love your enemies. We should have pity on them. We should want to tell them there's a way of escape. You see, our response is not for us to be terrified, but to tell them they should be terrified. They have something to be terrified of. I, I kind of picture it this way. Now, suppose that uh, I'm facing someone and he's got his fist raised. He's uh, against me. He wants to persecute me, whatever. So he's got his fist raised toward me. But I see behind him, in back of him, there's this avenging angel, huge, massive, with this mighty sword in his hand, about to come down on that person who's persecuting me. What should I be thinking about that person? Should I be more concerned with his fist or with that sword that's going to lop off his head? That's how we should look at this. It's not just that we are suffering persecution of some sort, but that those who are doing so are in danger of eternal damnation. The judgment of God is swift and sure. It is coming. It is a sign of their destruction. But secondly, it is a sign of our salvation. Verse 28, And not any way terrified of your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but notice, but to you it is a proof of salvation and that from God. That means that, look, the enemy does not attack his own. Satan is fine with those who are following, following him, whether they do so purposely or unwittingly, he's fine with them. He wants to attack you. He wants to diminish your faith. He wants to scare you. He wants to drive you away from Christ and not toward him. And so he attacks you. The very fact that we are persecuted for the faith becomes the very proof of evidence of our faith, that it is genuine. It points to your true loyalty in Christ. So persecution points to the coming punishment for the enemies of God, and persecution points to the reality of the salvation of the children of God. So a few years ago, when ISIS was taking over the second largest city in Iraq, Mosul, as they came into the, the city, they told believers there that they had a choice. They could convert to Islam, they could pay a very high protection fee, they could leave, or they could die. All the houses that were occupied by believers were marked with the, in Arabic with the letter N. And those who chose to stay had this mark on their door. Why the letter N? Because centuries ago, 
they were called, in the area of the world, followers of the Nazarene. And so the N was marking them as followers of Jesus the Nazarene. They were marked to be lights in that darkness. And Paul talks about, in verse 29 and 30, three gifts of grace. So verse 29 says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ. To you it has been granted. That word granted is based on the word charis, where we get grace. It means basically a grace gift or something that has been graciously given to you. Remember that as we go along. This is something that is graciously given to you. First of all is the gift of salvation. For to you it has been graciously given on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, so to believe in Him, the fact that you believe in Him is a grace gift of God in Christ for you. We realize that when we think of verses like Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. The only way that we come to Christ is through the grace of God who sent His Son to die for us. And He died on that cross for our sins. And then he rose again the third day to prove his victory over death and the grave and sin. And so that anyone who now places their faith, their trust in him and his finished work on the cross can have eternal life. That is a gift of grace that has been graciously granted to you to believe on him. But the second gift is a bit more startling. That is the gift of suffering. The gift of suffering. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. They're they're put together like they're equal gifts of grace. Not, Not just to believe. That's great, yes. But guess what? You get another great gift. What is it? Suffering for his sake. You ever have a gift you wish you hadn't received? This may be one of those. Ah, I like that first gift, the salvation, but I'm not so sure about this one. But it is a gift, a gracious gift. It's been granted to you. That sounds like An award. That sounds like an honor. It's been granted to you. This is not God's displeasure with you. It's God's grace to you. God has graciously given to us the privilege of suffering for his name. In Acts chapter 5, when the apostles had been drug in the 
before the Sanhedrin, the council deliberated on what to do with them. Gamaliel eventually rose and, and talked about a plan. And we pick up the story in uh, chapter 5, verse 40. It says, and they agreed with him. That is, the other members of the council agreed with Gamaliel. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them. Beaten them. Not, this doesn't mean a slap on the wrist and it doesn't mean a slap on the face. This means they were battered and bloody beaten. And when they were beaten, they, committed, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council. Listen to this. They departed from the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They thought it was an honor. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you counted us worthy of this honor to suffer for you. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They understood rightly it was an honor to suffer persecution. 1 Peter 4, I believe, is in your, your notes there. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. You shouldn't think like, this only happens to me. Or why me? Or why would God allow this? Or it's not a strange thing. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So why don't we think of suffering as a grace gift? It's because we are so totally locked into our life now, the things of earth and our earthly comforts, and we don't want to be upset from that, that we lose sight of the eternal reality that looms before us. And this life is but for a short period of time, and 10 million years from now, eternity will just have begun and this will have been like a blink of the eye, this whole lifespan that we live. Maybe for some of you, it would be two blinks. But it's a short time in light of, real, of the reality of eternity. And so those who have their, their eyes on heaven and eternity, those who have an eternal perspective of life, have a different view of suffering. So he says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. That's one of the keys to understanding how you can rejoice. It's because we partake of Christ's sufferings. Now, he died on the cross. He suffered there for us, fully paying for our sin. We don't need to add anything to his sufferings in that sense. We, we don't earn any merit toward our sins or anything else. Our suffering doesn't 
earn anything for us on this li- in this life. It doesn't add anything to Christ's work. But it does earn rewards in heaven. Remember, Jesus said to lay up treasures in heaven. Don't mess around with the treasures of earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. This is part of that. And as you partake of Christ's sufferings, you identify with him in his sufferings. The darkness tried to overcome the light and was not able to. But the battle between darkness and light continues and the darkness is trying to extinguish your light or remove the influence of your life, your light. And so you partake of the same kind of attack that Jesus did. You, in that sense, partake with him in his sufferings. You identify with him and he identifies with you. When it's all said and done, when we all get to heaven and we we are able to see this more clearly, we'll see how even our suffering, our persecution here, was part and parcel of the attack against our great God. So we partake of Christ's sufferings. That is an honor. It is a privilege. Notice the last part here, that when his glory is revealed, so when he comes back and his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Because when his glory is revealed, then he will reveal his sons of glory, those who belong to him. And we will be rewarded in heaven. Not that we deserve anything, but by his grace, it's a gracious gift of God, we will be rewarded. You'll be rewarded for every kind thing you do and say. You'll be rewarded for every service that you give in the name of Christ. Every cup of cold water that you give to someone in need, you'll be rewarded for that. How much more do you suppose someone who suffers persecution for his sake is building up for them treasures in Heaven. So I think of it this way, to put it in a kind of earthly, mundane way of looking at it. it it's as if, uh, let's say, someone <clears throat> uh, hits you in the name of Christ because you're, you're suffering for Christ. They're persecuting you and they hit you. Every time they hit you, it's a million bucks you get in your bank. Hit you, one million dollars. Hit you again, two million Hit you, that's three million. Your bank account's bing, bing, it's going, millions of dollars. Wouldn't you say, bring it on? You know, I can take that. Hey, my bank account's going, we would do that for earthly mammon. We would do that. Here's something that lasts for eternity our rewards in heaven. And those who suffer for him are rewarded forever in heaven. And so they counted themselves privileged to, for the being worthy to suffer for his sake. Rejoice if you're able to suffer for him. Here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 
chapter 3, verse 10, as Paul is giving his, his own aspiration, he says, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his erection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. So if you were given the opportunity to suffer for Jesus, would you? So the gift of salvation, the, the gift of suffering, and finally the gift of sharing, verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So you saw in 1 Peter 4, don't think it's a strange thing if persecution happens to you. Many others have walked this path before, have gone this way before, and now we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. We share in these things together. For the Philippians, knowing that Paul had gone through this while he was with them, having the same conflict which you saw in me now and here is in me. So you saw in me when I was there. Remember, he was in, the, in jail in Philippi. And they saw how he handled that and his testimony of how he's dealing with it now that Paul did not ever see himself as a victim, but always as a victor, even in severe persecution. And it's that perspective that is a light to other people. Part of God's gracious gift not only to be saved, not only to suffer for his name, but also to share in these things together, that we do it together. That we encourage one another in those times. That we, we're there for one another. We minister to one another. And when our time comes to suffer persecution, others are there for us. And we are there for them. In the darkness... We shine as lights, not only to those in darkness to point the way for them, but also to shine as lights to others who are in danger of their light being snuffed out. An encouragement to them, don't be afraid, stand fast. We are victors in all of this. Years ago, when Sherry and I were serving in the Central African Republic, uh, their baptisms during the dry season, uh, they had to dam up a, uh, a little stream. And, and during the dry season, it was a, a trickle. And so they would dam it up sometimes a couple of weeks in advance to let the, this constant trickle of water build up and build up and build up to have enough water that they could baptize somebody. And, um, and so the day would come, and we've, we had the privilege of seeing some of these baptisms. And I uh, remember one day in particular, it was a dry season baptism, and there were a number of people being baptized. But I noticed that one, one particular young lady, I'm, I'm guessing around age 12, she might have been a little bit younger, probably no more than 12. He was standing there, wet and bedraggled, having come out of the, the water. And I noticed 
at her feet there was a beat up small suitcase. And um, so I asked one of my African friends there, Yufei, I said, do you know why she's got a suitcase with her? And he said, her family told her, if you get baptized in the name of Jesus, you have no home, you have no family, don't come back. And so when she came to the baptism, she brought everything she had in that little suitcase. She was determined to shine as a little light in that great darkness. She had the courage to do that. Do you? Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you as your grateful children, knowing that you have given us, graciously given to us this gift of salvation. But Lord, you have also given us the privilege of suffering for your name. And Lord, we pray that as it happens, as we have opportunity to stand for you, to not back down, but to be your lights in the midst of this darkness, that you would um, give us the courage that we indeed would not be terrified, that we would stand in your strength, stand on your word. Lord, that you would enable us to be your lights. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.